Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money. Yep, it's our very special, very regular and very Sunday mailbag edition. I am the very Scott Phillips and I'm joined by the very, very Andrew Page from strawman.com. Oh, hey, mate. Very, very, I like it. I'm good. I'm good. Yourself? <laughs> there is no more Andrew Page than Andrew Page himself, is all I'm saying. <laughs> God, that makes you very, that. I think. Exactly. <laughs> well, the world probably couldn't do with two of you, mate. Because nothing, if nothing else, mate, how will we tell the straw man apart? One straw man is fine. Two straw men, things get very confusing very quickly, don't they? It does indeed. It does indeed. Two private investment clubs, it would be, if I, if I remember the correctly. <laughs> That's right. This, yeah, one's enough. One, one is enough. And if you want that one, go to strawman.com. Of course, I'm the Chief Investment Officer of The Motley Fool, and you can go to fool.com.au to get our stuff as well. As I said earlier in the week, uh, I, I reckon completely biased, but also completely truthfully, uh, two of the very, very best ways to get some great uh, investing information. Uh, yeah, I, I don't... I, I won't, I won't do more than that. Let's just say they're very good. All right. Speaking of very <laughs> Mate, uh, thank, you for, <laughs> thank you for joining us uh, again. Third episode this week for us uh, because we did spring a bit of an earnings primer on our listeners. We hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, frankly, we're recording this before that other one goes to air, so we have no idea whether you like it or hate it. Maybe the hate mail is overflowing right now, but I hope it's not. I hope you enjoyed it. Andrew, I hope uh, you uh, enjoyed spending a little bit extra time, and I do appreciate you uh, doing exactly that for me. I just I just like talking stocks and markets, mate. So we, we, we are hopeless. Let's, let's be honest. We could do five five-hour pods if we really had to. <laughs> a quick quick uh, behind the scenes. Andrew and I said, let's do a quick earnings prior. It'll be 20, 25 minutes. It was never going to be, but no, uh, hope springs no eternal. Chance. So we hope it was useful for you as you as you go through this earnings season. Mate, let's uh, kick off with a question from Ron. Ron says, evening, guys and gals. Happy Thursday. Thank you, Ron. Uh, I'm not sure which one is the gal. I'm going to assume it's maybe the member services team. I like this question. This is really cool. Like everyone else, he says, I love the podcast you're both part of. Thank you. And appreciate the hard work you put into them. In this post-commute world, I've transitioned to listening to your conversations while out running. Answering Scott's call for questions, here are a couple of hopefully interesting ones I've been mulling over if they pique your interest. Uh, this is just a really cool, uh, uh, there's lots of detail on these questions. We probably won't do them all. Um, but he says, question one, if you're considering private investment opportunities, what kind of information would you seek to properly understand what you're getting into? He says, below us a few examples that come to mind that might be plausible. Would you look for, uh, sorry, 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 the examples are a private company, for example, that issues stock or options or phantom stock to employees in a bonus scheme. Maybe it's a private company gauging, approaching customers to gauge interest in investing in the business. Maybe you've got a brilliant friend or side hustle looking at a proof of concept hedge fund, he says, focused on trading blockchain tokens. Wow, there you go. Or maybe Andrew offers Scott the opportunity to buy into straw man. What would Scott do to ensure he wasn't being scammed? That's a, that's a very, very specific way to put it, Ron. I, I'm sure you could have come up with a nicer way than that. I would try my best. Though. No, exactly. Best. And I would expect nothing less, Mr. Pope. Um, I like the idea, mate. So it's kind of, it's taking a public investment kind of angle, but say, what if it was a private company? Well, mm. what information would you seek? What would you do either the same or differently? Now, we are ASX investors and overseas investors. Uh, I don't have any private investments. I'm not sure if you do. But mate, what, what would you – it's a good question, right? Would you, would you do anything differently? Were there specific things you'd look to understand before you threw some money down one of those wells? Well, here's probably an unsatisfying answer. I, I, think, whether <laughs> it's, I think whether it's private or public or mm. even if you're dealing in – art or emu farms or whatever, it's always the same kind of consideration. You're, mm. you're, these are economic entities. So the real yep. question is, is what kind of cash can they can they throw off? So that mm. that leads you back to the same kinds of considerations. So in, in, in answer to that last point, I mean, how much mm. does Scott trust management? Don't ask questions you know what the answer to, Andrew. Is all you know, it, but whether it's CSL or yeah. Strawman, you know, it, it's this, it's still a very, very important yep. question. Yep. How does the business work? How does it make money? What are the opportunities mm-hmm. for growth? What kind of investments are required? Is it sustainable? You know, mm. it, they're all exactly the same kind of question. The, the thing that is different with private companies is that they uh, the great advantage of a listed company is that there's disadvantages to being a listed company. I should I should hasten mm-hmm. to add, mm-hmm. but the great advantage is the liquidity that comes with it. So yes, if you own yeah. shares in in on a stock on the ASX, barring some very 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 mm-hmm. small ones at, at the tail end, you, you can get in or out on any given day that you like, no hassle whatsoever. If you own shares in a private company. 
Um, it's it's you don't get that many opportunities to buy in, if at all. And if you yeah. do, selling can be really, really, really hard because there's mm. just not an mm. a- active market that's out there mm. being traded. That's the reason. That's the main reason that that private companies tend to trade at lower multiples than public companies because people put a value on that liquidity as they rightly should. Yes. So you are forced, You are, that is a consideration. I think that should err you to be less ambitious in terms of the price that you pay mm-hmm. um, uh, because of that. And I think it also, I would argue you should always be a long-term investor, but I think with private companies, you kind of got no choice but to be a long-term <laughs> exactly. investor because exactly. that exit, as it's called, might mm-hmm. be many, many years mm-hmm. off into the future. Um, and the, the further you go out, the, the the greater, you know, the uncertainty is, et cetera, et cetera. So it's sort of, it's sort of, I, I would, I would, I would weigh all of that up. That being said, I think private companies, particularly where you do know the brilliant friend, uh, yep. to quote the listener, or something like that, where you've got a bit of an insight into the mm-hmm. business mm-hmm. that might be a difficult perspective to gain if it were a public company, that can be really advantageous as well. You know, um, you can pick yep. up and speak to the the founder, managing director, That's and, and you know that they're, they're going to be pretty candid, honest people. That's, that's a huge advantage to have as well. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I, I think if, if the opportunity – look, you, most people won't come across the opportunity that yeah. often, um, yeah. but if you – and I certainly don't come across it th- that often. Um, but if, if it did come across, I'd look at the same kind of things. I just – I'd have to be extra, extra careful given that liquidity constraint. I like that, mate. The other thing I'd probably just mention is you're you're almost always taking more risk than most public companies, and I, I almost always in most doesn't make it very absolute. But you know, an early stage startup is an early stage startup, right? It's more yeah. akin to a biotech than it is to Woolworths. Yeah. Um, so just just be mindful of that, and you are then by definition going to have not even well, you'll have less information, which I'll get to in a sec. But the information you have is just not as easily. I hate I hate saying extrapolate because you shouldn't extrapolate anything. But if all these sold 15 cans of baked beans, they're probably going to sell 16 next year. Um, a startup trying to do wonderful things is probably going to grow 10x or crash um, yep. or somewhere in between. But the, the range of outcomes is massive um, and, and you don't have the same amount of information. The publicly require the, the disclosure requirements of a private company are much, much, much lower than for a public company. You don't get prospectuses. You don't get regular audited financials necessarily, or you may. Um, so just be mindful of that. Um, but other than that, Andrew, I completely agree with you, mate. The, the, the the approach is the same, right? You're looking to, to put some money down now, get more money back later, and you want to try and get, comfort yourself as much as possible that it's a a worthy investment to make. Um, just be mindful as well that depending on your personality and your mate or, or your company, um, if it's the company you work for already, you're probably going to feel good about them because you know what's going on, or you might hate them, um, but maybe even because it's a personal thing rather than a you know than a genuinely objective thing. So just be careful about the objectivity you can bring to that because it's closer. If you've got a mate who's trying to pitch you on the company, Andrew says, hey, Scott, buy some Jason Strawman. Look how great it's going to be. I'm like, well, Andrew's a good guy and he seems to be trying hard and he knows what he's doing. Does that make him more likely to succeed than somebody else? Maybe or maybe not, uh, but just be mindful of your own relationship and, and, and you know, you want to invest with people you like because that makes a whole lot more sense, as you said, Andrew, about, you know, being careful of management. So that is absolutely a positive. You know the person running, you know, minding the shop. That's super valuable. Just be careful as well. You might be, um, you know, not, not talked into it, but you might feel better about it because you know the person that may blind you to some of the more, um, what's the right word? Just just remain, remain to be sceptical. Remain sceptical. Put it that way. Remember to be sceptical. Yeah, um, here's the. I go. I, I just add on just a little, a, a little bit of a tweak on that. That's all true. Mm-hmm. The um, that being said, there are some massive privately owned companies. Yeah. So you work, you work for one. Like Motley yes, Fool's exactly. a monster, right? Yeah. I, yeah. It's yeah. it's not speculative at all. Um, yes. you know, Mars, the the, the yeah, that's right. The chocolate company is a mm. private company. That just mm. that's a thirty five billion dollar in revenue. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So the CEO is not going to yeah, come yeah. in line yeah. and say, "Hey, Bob, you want to buy some shares?" <laughs> but but for where the yeah. opportunity yeah. comes there is is, is if yeah. they have employee share schemes and that kind of mm. stuff. I know the mm. Motley Fool does. Yeah, um, yeah, we do. And and these other ones will, and I think mm. I think that's a, that's a slightly different kettle of fish because you don't have as much uh, uh, risk in terms of it being an un, unknown entity. Uh, in fact, yes, what correct. you do have is a bit of an added advantage in the sense that you get to know mm-hmm. what it's like behind mm-hmm. the curtain. What's the culture like? You know, yeah. what's the working environment yeah. like? You, you get to see, you get a perspective that a lot of people wouldn't get. Mm. So I think in those opportunities where they have those programs and they offer you to buy shares, 
uh, or they give you some options or that kind of stuff. Definitely look at the business and make all the usual considerations. Yeah. But but it doesn't have to it doesn't have to be high risk. You know, Price Waterhouse Coopers, yeah. Ernst and Young, these are all private companies and, and and employees they get the opportunity to participate in that. And they'll actually usually have internal markets that they open up once a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yeah, yeah that's I like that. That's that's they're, they're they're sometimes very much worth considering too. If they're done well, they're actually great mm. because it help, helps sort of align everyone within the company and yeah. puts them towards a cop, common purpose. They can be done horribly as well, by the way, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and, and be massive demotivators if not yep, done well. Yep, yep. But um, what was the other one? I was oh Coke Industries. You know, it's a bit controversial right. in terms of their yeah, founders. Yeah. One hundred and ten billion dollar revenue company, yeah, privately yeah. owned. So yeah, they're out there. They're definitely out there. Nice. That's very very true. Um, I would say one just. A financial advice perspective on this is just if you do, uh, if you are employed by a company and you own a lot of shares in that company, uh, maybe you make a squillion dollars if you work for Atlassian, you've probably done very, very nicely. If you work for Lehman Brothers, you lost your job and you lost your shares. So just, yeah. be, just be thoughtful about personal diversification when it comes to both your income and your wealth. Um, again, I, I don't know your circumstances, so do what works for you. Just be a little bit careful that um, if, you, if you're too concentrated, that can either be wonderful, a la Atlassian, or terrible, a la Lehman, uh, and plenty of others in between. So just, just have a think about that. Mate, the second question he asks, I, I quite like it. It's a, it's a bit of a tangent one, but it's a bit of fun. He says, well, he said, maybe a question for the resident tech entrepreneur, founder, CEO, but I'm sure Scott will also have some opinions. And he says, with the government publishing work into their new social media bill, it appears that social media platforms may need to have the ability to identify and pass on contact details of their users as required by the courts. He goes on basically to say, how might this challenge the online bogeyman of institutional upramping or downramping to influence retail sentiment if all accounts need to be identifiable to an individual? And so, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a market sentiment, market kind of, you know, um, uh, process question, market mm. regulation question, but it does go to, you know, we, we know there's plenty of um, less, uh, what's the right word? I want to be careful the words I use here. Some platforms aren't as high quality as Strawman. And in those platforms, there may be some who would seek to influence the behaviour of others to create certain share price movements, possibly, hypothetically, and allegedly. Uh, would this change the operations of the of the retail end of the market and therefore possibly uh, the way shares are priced on the ASX, Andrew? I don't think this particular piece of legislation will. So it's okay. it's 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 called an anti-trolling bill, but it's actually mm. not much to do with trolling, <laughs> that, um, which is a whole other whole other yep, thing. It really is. Um, but it's absolutely a phenomenon. I mean, like we look at GameStop, right? Mm. Like yes. this is this is a feature of markets that wasn't really there mm-hmm. before, in the sense that that. Very small investors, but in very large numbers, acting <laughs> in concert, yep. can have very, very material effects. So yeah. I think it's I think it's a very, uh, very real thing, and it's something mm. that's going to be a real, a, a, a difficult thing to police and track, right? So I know that we're hyper focused on this kind of stuff. Um, mm. We will we'll absolutely. We've never had to do it, but if if anyone was to sort of post something, it was classed as ramping or something, mm-hmm. I, I take it down in a second. Yeah, right. You okay. can, I think I think also to our members, are, you can sort of, it's so transparent, you know, it's sort of mm-hmm. pe- 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 people people who sort of present things as guarantees and that. There's there's usually a vested interest, <laughs> and, you know, they're, they're buying stock cheap, yeah. they're telling everyone yeah. it's great and they'll sell out as, and it happens, right? It, re- yeah, okay. it really happens. Makes sense. So um, uh, what, what do I say on all of that? I think, I think it just, it's, for, for someone who's on the outside of that, I think it just mm. means you just always got to be careful what you're reading and ask what the incentives are or uh, alignment of of those who are who are saying that. Makes sense. Um, you, you've you've got to have that that skepticism. Uh, and as someone who sort of operates in that space, I think it's I think it's something that you need to very much moderate very mm. carefully. Mm. We, we've taken a very deliberate approach with with Strawman, as you know. We've actually cut it. Way back, from, we had twenty thousand free members, and we restricted it to top six hundred. So we we very went, we very much went just said that. Listen, yeah. it sounds great, you know that. Oh, we want to <laughs> be as big as we possibly can. Yeah. And here's the here's the like bit of behind the curtains. What's interesting mm. is in doing mm. that and getting rid of ninety eight seven percent of our our users, the mm. quality and quantity of the content went up massively. And and so we've taken and that Good and enough. part of yeah. part of that decision has has has, has been. Through the recognition that, yeah, on one hand, it might sound great to have two hundred thousand users on your platform, mm. but but quality is more important than 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 quantity, and yeah, it's something I think it's something I think about a lot 
and and I, I really see the, the value that you're going to get out of this is only good as the community at large. If you've got a very poor community, doesn't matter what the technology and everything else around, it's just going to be a very poor experience and that's going yeah. to be ultimately revealed in things like churn and the rest of it, and reputation, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I'm I, I really keen on, on making sure that, that – that, that people are being objective. Dude, it's called straw man because we're actually always, <laughs> right. we, we, yeah, the idea is to put sort of your ideas up there and have them sort of challenged in a, in a collegiate cooperative kind of manner. I'm not, yeah, not trying nice. to start arguments, but yeah, I think, I think, I don't know. I'm yeah. rambling at this point in time. No, no, it, makes, it, it, it is, it is a feature. It is definitely a feature and something you need to be mindful of. It makes a lot of sense, mate. I like it a lot. Hey, um, let's go to the next question. We got one from Jordan who says, hi there. Some quick questions for the mailbag. Now, Jordan uh, specifies a, a number. So here we go. What are five of your favourite tools you use for investing? Websites, formulas, information sources, etc. That's a very, very broad question, but I like the idea of just kind of trying to pick five. So make it off the top of your head. List me if you can, or we can go one by one, or I can try first, but five things that are useful for you when it comes to your investing. Do you know the funny? There's some cool tools out there, I guess, but I, I find myself more and more often just using the ASX website, oh, which really? is free. Okay. And, and I just because I, I I think it's best to go to the primary sources, mm. i.e. the 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 announcements and the reports that the company itself is delivering. Mm. Um, so I, I think that that's that is my go-to, and it is it is the ultimate foundational sort of source of nice. truth. Yep. Um, I think if there's uh, newsletters and people out there, whether it's social media or whatever, that you feel mm. as though you trust, I think they're also very good too. Mm. Although I, I mm. always tend to emphasize that use them as an ideas generator, I think yeah. is the best way to do it. Yep, and then make, make your own decision on, on, on top of that. Mm-hmm. I've mentioned ShareSite before, um, mm-hmm. only because it just, it just takes a lot of the hassle out of tracking all of this, like measuring your performance, but just dealing with tax and all of that kind of stuff I think is, is really useful. But I do think it's a mistake to think that you need – sometimes you see, you know, people post these pictures they've got like five screens and a supercomputer <laughs> yeah, and right. 400 charts and subscriptions yep, yep, to the Standard yep. & Poor's and all yep. of the you – know, just it's not necessary. Buffett has got the best investing track record of just about anyone yep. and, you know, he doesn't have any of that stuff. He just, well, for years just, he didn't even have a computer on his desk. I'm not – he probably does now but it was, you know – Literally, I want to say for years, I'm talking like to really, really, really recently, he didn't yeah. have a computer on his desk and you can't, okay, yeah. well, that's, you know. Just read lots and lots of annual yep. reports. Yep. And, yep. and and I, 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 it's it's much less satisfying than yep. paying some subscription to a service <laughs> that presents you with lots of pretty charts yeah. and yeah. this and that yeah. and the rest of it. And, and yeah. I don't want to be critical. So there's, there's definitely value and some people get huge amounts of value from those kinds mm. of things. But I, it's not necessary. It really isn't. Mm. You you can do a lot with with the the free public information that's that's on the ASX, and mm. I'd encourage mm. people to go there. Nice. Um, I so let me see. For me, um, I think so. I, I if you're looking for five, five, five seem to are usually screening type things, right? If you're saying kind of where do you start? Because there's no there's no substitute, as you say, mate, for deep research, reading the annual reports, that kind of stuff. So it's kind of like you know. I see an idea. I think I might like to invest in it. You know, where do what? What do I read? Obviously, announcements. They are both annual reports and company announcements are kind of the the holy grail. But if you're kind of saying where do I start from? Um, massive, huge plug to fool.com.au. Um, absolutely biased, uh, but we publish a heap of stuff. So if you want to find out about a company or you want to keep up with the news, one way to do it. Uh, we normally cover the most widely owned companies, the biggest movers. So that's kind of something. Uh, List Corp is a free resource that you can put tickers in and they will send you announcements on those tickers. Um, so that's useful for me. The PE, honestly, for all of its shortcomings, is a really, really great starting point. If I see something trading at eight times earnings or 48 times earnings, it tells me something about what the market thinks about the business. Now, earnings can be manipulated. They're backwards looking. There's reasons that you would never stop there. But as a starting point, super, super useful just because it just helps you really quickly narrow stuff down. Um, so that that to me is, is interesting. Um, uh, that's three, I think. Um, what else? What else? What else? There is no substitute for reading. So business websites, um, honestly, AFR, SMH Business, Australian Business, ABC Business are kind of my go-to business websites. There's plenty of others out there as well. Um, just just kind of find out what's going on, how things are moving. Um, I'm trying to think. I can come up with a fifth ram. That's probably a starting point. I do very little. Uh, the other thing is, by the time you've done enough of this stuff, you kind of know what's going on. Uh, so, 
you know, but but idea generation from scratch is hard. Um, I really would like, I'm not going to overdo it. There's, other, there's probably other places, mate, you should give me some if you know them, but the Motley Fool website, as much as I'm horribly, horribly biased, if I'm going to see a report about a company I don't know much about or at all, it's going to come up because share prices moved meaningfully. And that doesn't, doesn't mean anything in itself, but it can be just like, a, oh, that's interesting. It's either down a lot or up a lot. I haven't looked at that company recently. I better go and have a look at it. So, mm. and that's not, I don't care if you don't go to the Motley Fool website, but just kind of, it pops up stuff that I otherwise mightn't have looked at because I don't tend to do A to Z summaries of the, of, you know, the ASX. I don't tend to go start with Aardvark and finish off at Zoo. Um, but generally, if I'm looking for new ideas, that's a, that's a reasonable way to kind of have them pop up. Are there others, mate? Well, while we're doing the shameless plug, I have to I have to mention Strawman. You know, it's like it's yeah, first, we're not accepting um, uh, paid members at the moment, but yep. just as, as a free account, you'll you'll get that. I think that's the big that's the big yep. thing here, and it's why yep. I started it. It's just like I want to see there's some really great yeah. private investors that you never would have heard of out there, like totally. heaps of them, and yep. I want to see what ideas they're uh, surfacing and what their mm -hmm. thinking is behind that. Mm -hmm. And also what we very we do as well is people have these play money portfolios that they build track records and stuff up. So if I see someone nice. who's outperformed the market for the last three years, yeah. who always puts forward a sensible argument and, and puts mm -hmm. forward a company mm -hmm. I've never heard of before, I think it's just it's yeah. a great yeah. way of yeah. just sort of cutting it down. And nice. yeah, yeah, anything that can do that. But as as with anything, they're all just a starting point. The, mm -hmm. the, at the end of the day, it's you that's pulling the trigger. And it's you that has to make that decision. But anything that can take this world of 2,000 plus stocks on the mm. ASX and distill it down into something that's far more digestible and to give you a bit of uh, insight into the thinking behind these investment ideas, just a really great starting point. Nice, ha a nice hack. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Let's go to Chris from David, mate. Hi, Scott and Rami says, thanks heaps for all the pre-recorded episodes of the podcast over the festive season. Our pleasure, mate. Thanks for enjoying them. It kept me well entertained and informed whilst in COVID isolation. Oh, dear. Sorry, mate. During which time focusing on the goggle box was very difficult. I've used your valuable information in the past to set up mini portfolios for all my grandchildren. Nice work. And I've been trying hard to get my daughter and stepdaughters interested in the share market. He said, though, mortgages and rent mean they often have very little left over each month. I get that. I have a question for the podcast. As a bonus for my stepdaughter, for her efforts at work, I offered to try and get her started on some sort of dollar rounding system that would allow her to invest in ETFs. Unfortunately, most of these innovative systems are US-based. And apart from ING, who have an account that allows you to round off transactions, we couldn't find one that automatically invested into the share market. We finally settled on a product called Sharesies and throw in her early 20s and a bit of a party animal. She has agreed to try to invest a small amount each month after being paid and before spending it all. Good work, David. Uh, though Sharesies allows very small incremental investments, it purchases shares through one HIN number. Can I assume the system operates similarly to the USA, where the broker holds the stock and is not individually owned as it is here through Chess? If this is the case, will those shares be held in a trust and be secure? Thanks once again for all your efforts pre-Christmas. I greatly appreciated it, as I did Ram's efforts in hosting Ausbiz for a few episodes. Nice work, Ram. Mm. Keep up the great work, and I look forward to listening through 2022. Regards, David. David, really quickly on this one, um, I have we've talked about, um, oh God, Scacy now, Superhero, who do exactly the same thing. One single HIN, uh, all the accounts are held within that. It is safer than the US street name, where there is no legal or beneficial ownership uh, apply to an individual. So it's safer than that because the HIN itself is protected. There is a responsible entity that makes sure it's all above board, but it's simply not as safe as owning it personally. That is just, it's just an incontrovertible fact, right? Because if Scott and Ram Incorporated had one HIN and we had all of our listeners investing through it, and for whatever reason, either through malfeasance or no fault of our own, we screwed something up and we made a mistake, you can't then say, but hang on, my shares were these specific shares and using the chest system, identify those directly. All you could say is, hey, Ram and Scorp Incorporated should have a thousand shares of CBA. One of those should be mine and hope that we can resolve it. The chances of something going wrong are pretty low. It's just not as secure. If, if you're drawing a hierarchy, individual hens are above group hens and they're above street name ownership. And just it just is what it is. I'm not yeah. super worried about it. <sighs> David, honestly, so for me personally with individual shares, I'm no squillionaire, but I would happily pay more for brokerage to have my own HIN because I figure it's the cheapest insurance in the world. The chances are low, but if it does happen, I'll be very, very glad I paid an extra two, three, four bucks a trade to have chess sponsorship, right? If you're in a roundup stage and the money's small and you're trying to create habits, 
I'm not sure I'm super, super worried about it. Mate. If we're talking about thousands of dollars rather than tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands, I think you could probably say, you know what, it's worth the risk because if it gets started, use the rounding function. It makes it easy and simple, uh, makes it automated. It, it creates a habit. That to me is probably worth the, the, the very, very small risk. Um, I wouldn't do it with large amounts of money, but if you're getting started, I'd probably be okay with that. What about you, Ram? Yeah, I think I think we mentioned it uh, in a recent episode. I, I it's it is a risk, but it is a really small risk. Of all yeah. the risks that you need to think of as an investor, it's not one that would worry me too much. I also mentioned the National Guarantee Fund, which is set up as well. So even if this mm. this company went belly up, they can't then sell all the shares that they hold as a custodian for all of the, yes, and then and then use that to pay their bills. Uh, they can't, and if they do, it's it's highly illegal. <laughs> um, uh, so you are protected. Um, I, I yeah. think you might be fine that you're unable to sell when you did and that. But again, there are there are guarantees that are out there that will will help mitigate that. So it's very unlikely to happen. And worst case, if it did, mm. it'd be a little bit messy and frustrating and time consuming. But I think you would have eventually be made whole through the National Guarantee Fund. So mm. the, the far more important thing is is what you've done is just get get something set up and get the habit going. Yeah. Um, that that's the big thing, and, you, and you've done right on that. And if you transfer to another broker at some future point, uh, as long as the ownership is not changed, there's no, there should be no, there should be no, I can't give you absolutes because I'm not a tax accountant. There should be no tax consequences. So if you start now and then you get to a certain size, like, right, I want to transfer it to another broker with a with just sponsorship. As long as the the beneficial name is the same, the owner is the same, there should be no taxable event. So mm. um, you, can, you can do both you know, um, consecutively, consequently. I just, one, one comment I oh. want to pick up on. Yes. Oh, sorry, mate. I... Connection drop for a second. I just, one comment I want to um, emphasize from what David said there in, in terms of his daughter. It was it was investing a little bit after being paid, but before spending it all. Yeah, I right? think that's really key. So a lot of us yeah. sort of you know we we get paid, we spend it, and then if we've got something left over, we might invest it. Mm-hmm. I think. And I think that's fine if you're really great at budgeting and that. But I'm actually yeah. not a huge believer in budgeting. I think I made this comment before. I think he did. Yeah, I, I, obviously, it's very it's a very controversial statement. Obviously, mm. budgeting is is very important, but it it does re- it it does require huge amounts of discipline. I'm mm. far more of the camp where I go backwards, where I would sort of say, get mm. paid this much each month. This is roughly how much I need to leave uh, mm. to, to live on. This is how much I can afford to sort of save slash invest, and and I just take that and yeah. I put it out. And after that, it's just like, well, whatever's left, I can do whatever the hell I like with. You know, I can blow it all on a big night out or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it just takes that discipline. The, the only discipline is, yep. is it's yep. done before the fact rather than than after the fact. Yeah, totally. Like because it. best intentions often fall afoul. And and yep. it's it just he made the point, and I just want to emphasize it. That is absolutely the way to do it. Love it. I'm also not a massive fan of roll-up apps, rounding up apps generally, depending on what they charge. So just be a little bit careful again. If it's all about the habit, you can afford to kind of blow the money. It's not about the return yet. It's about the habit. So do that anyway. Mm. Um, just be careful of fees. You know, rounding up 20, 50 cents a dollar, you'll end up saving $3.28 a week and it's nothing and they'll charge you a fee or maybe they don't. But either way, it's not going to change the world. So do it for habits. Just be careful as the account gets larger. Um, careful of those fees because it may be worth at that point at some meaningful point taking that and going elsewhere with the uh, with the account, in my view. Yep. All right. Uh, one from Ivan. Hi, guys. I've only been listening to you the past few months, despite listening to your weekly update on a different podcast for the last few years. That might be the, uh, I assume, that is the Australia's Today's Morning Agenda with Natasha Belling, which I, I, I'm on a couple of times a, a fortnight, three times a fortnight. Huh. I'm pretty sure I won't be alone, he says, with this question. I understand you can't give advice, but I'm interested in your opinion. It appears the government favours entering retirement owning the house you live in. Yes, that's true. You also mentioned one of the bulk Christmas podcasts, multiple benefits of owning a home as a principal place of residence. Yep, absolutely. I'm 52. says, Ivan, I have some shares and an advisor. I'm doing a buy and hold strategy and only investing in income stocks. All the dividends go into a margin loan, which is then used when the market drops. I have a firm belief that everything is a cycle. So I'm usually happy when the market drops so I can top up everything. Except last year, he says. My first buy into the market was 2009 and all my stocks are companies the average person will know. The question, in your opinion, which will end up with a better retirement? So you go around, pay attention. Mm-hmm. A house, some fully frank share income, pension and super, or no house, significantly more fully frank share income, no or minimal pension and super. I'm also single with no kids, but some expensive toys, he says. I'd love to know. I understand there's no right, one right answer, but I'm just after a second opinion. Full on from Ivan. What do you reckon, mate? A house, some income, pension and super, or no house, 
significantly more income, no or minimal pension yeah. than super. So, so Ivan's one hundred percent right. It, 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 there's no one right answer. The great yeah. thing about with owning your house <laughs> is that is that it's just there's no risk there. You know, it's yeah. it's it's a yeah. very safe uh, option. Yeah. You're never going to get kicked out. The worst that happens, as long as you've got enough money through mm-hmm. that that pension and, and a bit of super to, to live the life that you want to live, that's a great option. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Now you can get really clever, quote unquote, <laughs> and start. And yeah. <laughs> I'm speaking from experience here. Oh dear. And I've told this story a million times, but yeah. you can you can just decide. Well, no, I don't need the house. I'll just I'll, I'd rather my money work much harder over here. And mathematically, you sort of push that forward with some reasonable assumptions. You're actually better off overall. Mm. Um, but the big thing that I missed and I re- is a regret in my life is that it, it doesn't factor in the security angle. And we've had to move like seven times in the last 10 years or so. It's, it's been really, really frustrating. So financially, we're better off for it. But, um, you know, psychologically, it's been a hassle. <laughs> and that lack of security is, is something that I, that I, I do regret. So mm-hmm. I don't know, just putting, putting that in, in perspective there, I think it, it, it depends if if you could find, I, I would say, if someone offered me an, an opportunity for a ten year lease, mm. even with mandated rent increases, but that that security of shelter, um, I would go the second option every single day of the week. Mm. Um, that is unfortunately very difficult to find in the in our country, unfortunately, um, and so that that's just something you have to think about. Mm. I think that's absolutely right, mate. Uh, I mean, it depends on the assumptions you make on the growth of the assets and the amount of borrowing. Uh, and it's kind yes. of a, it, it, there's no answer, right? So I've actually done some numbers really recently around. My, I've said it, I love a spreadsheet as to you. And so I've kind of put some numbers in a spreadsheet. Okay, well, based depending on what interest rate and uh, what return on shares, what return on property, what rental yield I'd get. So I basically try to work out investment property. And then depending mm. on what deposit you put down, there's a different amount of lenders, mortgage insurance, and I won't bore everybody with the full details. Suffice it to say, the numbers really vary massively based on the assumptions, as yeah. they do with every analysis, like discounted cash flows, by the way. Yep. You can make any share price double or half its you know, current price based on on changing some assumptions. Mm. Um so, Ivan, it really does depend, mate. It depends on what you assume. Uh, I am not expecting massive house price growth in future. If I'm right and if shares do what they traditionally have done, then shares are better. If I assume, though, that housing can do 8 or 9% a year for the foreseeable future, then housing actually ends up being much better off if you borrow the money and you get a decent rental yield and et cetera, et cetera. So it depends entirely on all those numbers, right? Um so there is no single answer. And honestly, either answer is true financially, depending on what assumptions you, you whack into the spreadsheet. And leverage is the answer, right? Because um, even if you get a lower return on a, on a more expensive asset, but you borrow more, most of it, uh, that leverage works for you. Uh, you can't borrow as much in shares. Now, Drew, I've talked about this before. Um, if I could borrow 90%, if you borrow 90% of the of a, a share portfolio worth a million dollars or 90% of a house worth a million dollars, I take the share portfolio every day of the year. If you can't borrow that in shares, but you can borrow it in, in property, then it changes the maths and, and on and on mm. we go from there. Mm. So all that said, um, I am actually with Andrew entirely. I think that if, and this was, okay, let me actually step, step back. This is a finance podcast, right? But all finance should be, economics should be in the context of the wider society, right? So an economy exists to serve the society, not the other way around. And your finances exist to serve your lifestyle, not the other way around. So if it was me, and this is not a financial answer only, I would take the security of the house, knowing it was A, somewhere to permanent, as you said, Ram, but also B, actually paid off. That at the very, 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 very least, you have a house, they can't take it off you because the bank can't foreclose on you and you've got a pension. And that's not going to be the world's best lifestyle in retirement. Um, if you had $10 trillion, you'd be better off. But if I could choose to know that I knew that I knew that I had the house paid off, and that I had some pension and some share income and some super, that'd be a pretty good... If I knew I could retire with that, I'd take it. Mm-hmm. If I could retire with no house, so therefore I'm renting, I'm going to have to pay the rent every single week from now until the day I die. Um, shares may or may not fluctuate. Dividends may or may not fluctuate. Uh, I might get kicked out of my home when I'm 84, as Andrew just said, because I haven't got a, a permanent residence and I'm at the whim of, of the, the landlord who wants to then sell or renovate or do something else. Again, this is not a financial answer. It's a lifestyle answer. I would choose the house because I would want to think at some point in my life, I can go, okay, that's done. I can tick those boxes off and I know that this is worst case. I've got a house and a pension and some super and that's enough. Anything on up, upside from there is, is, is 
opportunity or, or advantage or benefit that, you know, it would be great, I'll take it, but at least I know the downside is, is limited and fixed and I know exactly that I can be in this house until I move to a nursing home or shuffle off this mortal coil. So it's a lifestyle answer, mate, not a financial one. Financially, it is still possible that owning your own home is, makes more sense depending on the tax circumstances. You don't pay tax, of course, if you sell your home. Uh, you, you, the money you put into it is effectively, you know, um, a higher return relative to shares because you know you have to pay tax on the share income, whether it's dividends or capital gains. So that's my general thought. That that prompt any more thoughts for you, mate? No, I mean as you say, it's that it's it's you got to think through opportunity cost. You got to think through yeah. security. Um, you got to mm-hmm. think through emotionally. So the average the average median house in Sydney yeah. is one point six million, right? Yeah. Yes. And if you own that outright, and that's great, I don't pay any rent. That's huge, yes. you know. It's right, it's, right, right. it's an advantage. The alternative yeah. is so well, I could sell it right now. Yes. And on the market, it's not unreasonable to expect I'd get a 4.5% yield if I was sort mm-hmm. of pursuing that kind of strategy. Like not, mm-hmm. not that hard at all. In fact, more with franking credits, but let's just mm-hmm. ignore franking credits. That's 72 grand a year in, yep. in income. Forget yep. the capital growth that will happen longer term. And on it, that, so that's doing the math. That's almost $1,400 a week that you can afford to spend on rent. You can rent a really nice house even in Sydney for $1,400 a week. Right. You know, so. No, that, yep, totally. So, so, so the maths of it to me, and this is this is what steered me in the, on the, onto the path that I'm on, mm. was that I just sort of kind of did those numbers and thought just mathematically it makes, mm. it makes a lot of sense. If I can retire and, you know, diligently save and invest, I've, you know, I have been for 20 years, I'll do it for another 20 years. Yep. And retire with a few million dollars that I can that I can um, generate an income off. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm paying rent, but I'm still far better off as a result of it. As I say, the the rub there is is that you're not going to get turfed out every five every six months. <laughs> yeah, um, so that's that's the big that thing sucks. you've got. Exactly. that's the yeah. thing you've got to factor on. Yeah. But mathematically, it makes a huge amount of sense. There you go. Uh, mate, I like that. So let's go to another question from someone who now, just a, a heads up, if you're going to ask to be anonymous, please put it at the top of your email rather than the bottom because uh, I did read this one and so we're okay in this case. Um, it is absolutely the case that I've read it and at the bottom it says, please keep name anonymous. So I'm going to do that, but just for, for my sake and for yours, please put it at the, at the top rather than the bottom uh, just in case. All right, he says, hello, Scott and Ram. Thanks for answering my previous question and keep up the good work. I have a question about dividend portfolio construction. I'm lucky to have recently inherited a large sum. Congratulations, but I'm sorry for your loss. And I'm looking to invest a sizable portion into dividend stocks in order to maintain a relatively stable passive cash income to run alongside other capital growth investments. So we're talking about a kind of a two two speed, uh, you know, two portfolios, if you like, a dividend portfolio and a growth portfolio from the look of it. Now, in regards to the formation of the dividend portfolio, I recently subscribed to the Fool's Dividend Investor Service. Andrew used to run that one, by the way. But one question hit me. Why not simply put 100% of the cash into Vanguard's low-fee income ETF and be done with it? As someone who is happy to be relatively hands-off, that's a Vanguard high-yield fund ETF, appears to be diversified, 67 Australian holdings, and since remaining Australian allows me to take advantage of franking credits, I'm happy to forego international exposure. It's also benefited from modest capital growth to keep up with inflation. Well, I know you can't give personal advice, and you're right, thank you. What are your thoughts on this approach? My main concern is whether one broad dividend ETF is sufficiently diversified. Thanks again and full on from Anonymous. Uh, I'll go first quickly on this one, mate, and you mm-hmm. can jump in. She used to run Dividend Investor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that – I don't think you need more than one ETF generally as long as it's a broad index-based ETF to be diversified. So I wouldn't worry about that specifically, Anonymous. What I would probably ask yourself is whether you're comfortable enough with the makeup in itself – of that particular ETF. So the number of companies is fine, but you ask yourself, which companies are they? And generally speaking, the, the, the challenge for this one, and if you, if you look it through, so there is 67 different holdings, which is great, but I've just pulled up the numbers. 40% of that fund is in financials, 22% in materials, and 12% in consumer discretionary stocks. So the reason that we don't, we have dividend investor rather than the Vanguard High Yield Fund for us at, at, at Motley Fool, but also I would take this approach. And by the way, we have another uh, income service that I won't bother telling you about, but we have another one which is actually more geared to what you're looking for. Dividend investor is supposed to beat the market. The Vanguard High Yield Fund is not aimed to beat the market and completely appropriately because they're trying to manage for income. We have, I don't think any banks in dividend investor, if I'm right at the moment, uh, but 40% of this ETF is in banks. Our concern is... So I would say 67 companies is not undiversified, but 
40% of your portfolio in financials, that is horribly, horribly concentrated. And because the financials are going to move as probably two parts, the banks in one group, probably the insurers in the other, uh, let's call it 30% banks, 10% insurers. If 30% of the fund is going to move in one direction with one set of economic circumstances or share prices or whatever happens, I don't think that's diversified at all. And so the reason I would, and I, don't, I, I love Vanguard. This fund is exactly what they say it's going to do. They don't make financial advice. They don't even tell you what's right for you. They just say, if you want to buy it, you can. So they get to be hands off. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't invest in this portfolio personally for income without doing other stuff as well. If you're going to do the other stuff, Maybe do the other stuff instead. The yield on this is 5.23% according to Vanguard's website, which is great. But as I said, you've got that exposure. We have, I will actually mention that other service because it's relevant. We have a service called Everlasting Income where it's designed to do exactly what you're looking for, made a portfolio of income producing stocks. The yield on ours is actually 4.2-ish percent, less than this 5.2. Why do we do it that way? Why not just do the VHY ETF? For exactly the same reason. I don't want our members exposed to 40% of their portfolio in resource in financials and 20% in resource. I think that's a horrible uh, concentration. Maybe it does never hurt you. Maybe it's always fine. But if I'm looking to assess risk and then make financial advice recommendations on behalf of our members, I don't want that. We've got, I think, 5 or 6% of that portfolio in, in financials rather than 40%. Uh, yes, the yield is lower, but I feel better about the quality of the portfolio, the diversification of the portfolio, and frankly, the quality of the income. Because as we saw last year, um, when the banks got hit, they got hit hard and it really hurt a lot of income. So I, if you're happy with that concentration, you're happy to take the risk, I can't tell you not to do it. I wouldn't tell you not to do it. I can't give you personal advice anyway. But for people listening, I wouldn't invest in this high-yield ETF for those concentration reasons. Ram? Yeah, I, I think that's one of the, the downsides of ETFs mm. in our market. It's very top-heavy market, very much in Hugely. the in, in the financial space. They're just mm -hmm. huge companies. They, they're all correlated. So I think that's – I think you make an excellent point there. I'm also just having a look at the fact sheet from Vanguard mm. at the moment. It's actually underperformed the market. Um, yeah. Uh, I've, since inception and over the last 10 years, yeah. over the last five years, over the last three years, not by a huge amount. Mm. I think it's one of those things that you'll look back on and you'll never be disappointed. I don't. I think it's yes. going to be very yeah. hard yeah. for you to lose money and not get a mm. regular attractive source of income. The question is, is – could I do better? I think the answer mm. is yes. And then the next question is, could I be bothered? And I think <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. That's the real key. If you are yeah. a hands-off yeah. kind of person, yeah. then go for it. You're never going to sit on your deathbed and go, oh, if only I got an extra 1% or 2% a year. You mm. know, it's like there are, for most people, there's, there's far bigger priorities. Or, or if you do live more interesting life, if, yeah. that's, if, that's, if that's where you end up, you've probably not done the better. You've probably not lived your best life, put it that you way. Know? So perfect can be the enemy of good, I think, yeah, when totally. it comes to investing. We're all trying to maximise sort of our returns, but there is something. You know, the person who spends 20 hours a week obsessing over a portfolio to get 2 or 3% <laughs> extra per year yeah, yeah. is probably, you know, you think about it on the per unit of time invested, not just the dollars invested. Mm -hmm. It's very different. I mean, I'd rather earn 100 grand a year doing a job that I rock up and do two hours worth a week right, than exactly. earn 300 grand a year where I'm working 80 hours a week Correct. and on the weekends yep. and all that kind yep. of stuff. You know, one, one is more money, but one mm -hmm. is far less per unit of time. So yeah, couldn't agree more. either or, I think you're going to do reasonably well. If you're a passive mm. kind of person, yeah, mm. you'll, be, you'll be okay with this kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think I've often said this is that I think the best investors are the ones that inherently enjoy the process. Yes. It's kind of like even if you won $20 million in Powerball, yeah. Yeah. You'd, you'd probably still have a manager portfolio <laughs> of shares. You don't need to for any yeah. financial yeah. reason, but- I would because it's yeah. fun. I enjoy it. I yeah. like the challenge. I like it's intellectually <laughs> stimulating and all of that kind of stuff. So I think that's a huge part of it. So I think it's always worth starting with the idea of know thyself. Yeah, and if you're that kind of person, I think, and you inherently get enjoyment from the process mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you can add an extra three, four, 5% per annum, that's going to be massive over time. So yeah. that's, that's, that's the way I go, but that's, that's me as a person. Mm -hmm. Passive, you, you're going to be just fine with, with, with an ETF like this. Bearing in mind the, the 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 concentration that you pointed out, Scott. Yeah, totally. Um, I, I completely agree with all that. By the way, I think that's that's exactly right. Um, cool. Let's get another question from Harry. Hi guys, I'm loving the podcast and the, and I value the views you provide. Thank you, mate. One technical question I have related to the sh prices shares trade at during the day. What I don't understand is when a share will sell for say thirty five cents, then at thirty five and a half cents, as it has buy and sell offers at those price points. 
But then a transaction goes through at 34.75 cents, which is a price point you cannot bid or offer at. How is that possible? Does this mean someone has put through a short sale? Thanks in advance of your answer. Cheers from Harry. So he's saying, look, there was a buy at 35, a sell at 35 and a half, the other way around. Uh, no, that's right. Um, but then someone puts through a trade at a price lower than either of those two prices. How does that happen? I don't know the answer to that, Andrew. Do you? Yeah, I think I think the answer is this. So there are there are defined price steps on the ASX. Mm. Um, so I think less. I'm going to look it up. Just Google it. But on, you know, for a stock less than ten cents, you can trade mm. in point one cent increments. Right. Okay. And then between ten and a dollar, it's sort of half cent. Maybe it's two dollars. It's half cent. And then it gets. You, you can't do that for CSL. Like a yeah. two hundred dollars share, you can't bid point one. Yeah. Half. They, <laughs> those price steps, you just physically can't enter them into the system. Mm-hmm. So what uh, what will happen is it'll be volume dependent. So you someone mm. might have said, in this instance, that the the, the the listener may have said, um, okay, I'm going to put a buy order in with this limit price. I don't want to pay more than 36 cents. Right. And what's actually happened there is it's actually gone through in two parts. You might have you uh, might okay. have picked some up. You maybe had an order for a thousand units and 678 mm. got got picked up at at 30. I forgot what price I said. Now thirty four cents, and the others yeah, yeah, got done at thirty four yeah, and a half. Yeah. So what you what the what the broker statement is telling you, mm-hmm. and I know my broker does this, is it gives you the average price of those units. Yeah, right. But okay. what actually happened was there was some at this price, and then some at that price, and that's just mm-hmm. what the average mm-hmm. turns out to be. You should be able to check that on the on the broker side as well when you actually look at the actual details of the order. It'll nice. say so much fulfilled at this price, so much fulfilled at that price. And then you get mm-hmm. these these sort of funny decimal prices. I, I think mm-hmm. that's what's probably mm-hmm. happening in this instance. Very good. Mate, last question from Richard. Richard says, hi, Scott and Andrew. Thanks for the great podcast. I've only recently started listening and playing catch up through the previous episodes. Thank you, mate. So apologies if this has been That's a lot before. of catching up. It's a lot of catching up. My, my apologies in advance. Don't listen to the early ones, Richard. Uh, I'm also a member of Extreme Opportunities, which I've enjoyed, albeit returns, returns have been a little mixed. They have. It's a, it's a tech-focused service and uh, it's been a tough six months. Probably like many listeners, he says, I'm an owner of stocks. I probably have about 15-ish at last count across multiple industries, both in Australia and New Zealand. We all live busy lives, says Richard, whether it be family, work, etc. So to ensure we stay appropriately informed and disciplined on our stock picks and the accompanying thesis, he says, what is your recommendation on staying up to date? For example, reading all half and yearly reports, attending AGMs, Googling articles, post announcements, following all company releases, chat rooms, etc. Keeping up to date requires discipline, he says, but not always easy to maintain. Full on from Richard. So the question, bottom line, mate, is once you bought the stocks, how do you best keep up to date with what's going on and whether your view should change? I, I think it's definitely the, the news flow from the company itself, um, whether it be their regular reports or various company price-sensitive announcements that they issue, just just stay on top of it. I think mm. one of the mistakes, I certainly made this mistake, and I think a lot of new investors do, is that they feel as though you have to be across everything. You must have yeah, an opinion yeah. on this. You must yeah, have an opinion yeah. on that. I know whenever we sort of I do Osbys or one of these things, yeah, you know, stocks come up all the time. I've just never heard of before. I've never p- taken an interest in before. I don't, right. I don't. I don't feel as though I need to have a view on it. I, I, I there's a lot of people in our industry which are an inch deep and a mile wide. <laughs> that is, you throw a, you throw a stock name at them and they'll tell you a bit about them, mm. but they you, you can only know a limited amount about two thousand stocks. I mean, you know, unless unless yeah. you're some kind of supercomputer, you just <laughs> you can't. Right. I would I would far prefer to. Of the com- <laughs> to to deeply deeply know a small handful of companies, yeah, and then just to stay up to date with the company announcements. It's actually not a huge amount of work if you own twenty stocks, one. you know, throughout yeah. the year. They sort of comes in clumps, so it's busier at sometimes than the other. But mm. there's also never any urgency. It's not like I have to read it the second it comes out. I'll oh okay, few of my companies reported this week. I'll I'll That's read over some of the things in the weekend. Yeah, make, yeah. make your life easy, right? Don't mm. feel mm. as though you need to be across everything. Then mm. new things and, and ideas will come along, and it's worth having a read. And sometimes. Sometimes you'll swap it out because you feel it's better than than what you've held. But just mm. just maintain a very tight focus is my preferred way of doing mm. it because it's just it's too hard. It's too much. It's too much. It's too overwhelming. But if you've like if that. you've if you've got a nice concentrated thing, it just life becomes a lot easier. Mm. And you also know too if you've done your work. You know a lot of the companies, there's exceptions, but not even most of the companies I hold, I, it's. It's not as though I won't wake up one day and the share price will be down ten percent, but there's mm. there's going to be very few announcements that's going to fundamentally change my expectation and outlook and understanding of the business mm. um, because, because I just I know it so well. Um, that doesn't mean it can't happen, but 
you know, I've, I've thought it through. What are the risks that it faces? What are the things I'm on the lookout for? Mm. You mm. know, uh, yeah, keep, keep, keep it simple. Make, make your life easy. Stupid. Exactly. Uh, I, I completely agree. Company company announcements are the preeminent one. Also, do it by having a long-term perspective. And, and a bit like the – you've used the example before, I think it was on Friday's episode of the man walking the dog down the road and things going left and right, but look at the man, not the dog. Mm. Generally speaking, if you think Woolworths is going to be about 20% bigger in five years, ask yourself, is it roughly on that track? Mm. So you have, to, you have to interrogate the thesis each quarter and say, well, is it still – I want a 36% growth, it's only 34. Is that, is that a big deal? Mm. Um, kind of just keep the bigger picture in mind. Follow the companies, as you say, Andrew. And then if you see something in the company information you're not sure about, then do your further research, right? So it's almost mm. that idea of like know when to go deeper. Mm. I get the result out from Woolies. Okay, sales are up a bit, costs are up a bit, profits up a bit or down a bit but for reasonable reasons. Okay, cool, that's fine. Um, sometimes we need – we feel like we need to be, you know, as you say, mate, know everything about everything. Mm. Woolly stars are down a little bit, or sorry, Woolly stars are up a bit, profits down a little bit because of COVID costs. You kind of go, oh, okay, fair enough, that seems reasonable. I'm still okay with that. Mm. Um, you don't have to necessarily, you know, know everything about everything or, or, or worry about everything. It's it's tempting to kind of freak out about every possible change. Is my thesis off and that kind of stuff? And it, it, you end up down a rabbit hole that maybe you don't need to be. So mm. I, I think it's I think it's important. I think it's useful. Um, I think it's worthwhile making sure you keep across your thesis. But if it's well formed in the first place, spend more time doing that. And then just ask yourself regularly, hey, is this roughly in line with where I think, you know, within guidelines, up a bit, down a bit, but is it roughly in line with where I want it to be going? Yeah, okay, well, you're probably, you're probably good to keep going. I'm um, also, by the way, services like Strawman, uh, services like The Motley Fool, um, if you want some help in that because you have you are limited in time, not because I'm trying to sell our stuff, although if you want to buy, feel free. Um, but, you know, if you can find a trusted something, service, resource, and you kind of just for a second opinion, that can be useful. And for some of our members who say, I do my own research, I do my own investing, but it's nice to know what the Motley Fool's thinking or mm. I know what other people in Strawman are thinking. That can just be useful in itself because it might just be a nice shortcut. What's other people, what are people saying about Woolworths at the moment? What's the Motley mm. Fool saying about Woolworths at the moment? They can be useful ways to um, just to check your thinking so you don't raise anything that otherwise you mightn't have thought about. Nice. With that, we might have the rest of the weekend off. What do you reckon? Sounds good to me. <laughs> Enjoy the rest of your Sunday fools or Monday if you're listening to this on Monday morning. We hope you've enjoyed it. We certainly enjoy bringing it to you as we always do. We'll be back with a stock of the week on Wednesday and then Andrew and I will be back on Friday in our normal slot where we talk, well, I won't say, we, we talk about a lot of interesting, important stuff and you wouldn't want to miss it, would you? It's free. <laughs> Keep up to date with your investing by listening to Motley Fool Money. Until then, full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.